Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. I'm good. Maybe I should just stop now, but then your ego or something gets in the way and then you continue on and then you're like, you know, whack. And then you're like, oh, I broke my collarbone or, oh, I broke my leg. Or that's where we shine is when we're humble and we're realistic about our position in the universe. But the simplest way to word it really is be in the now. So if there's no beginning and no end, then there's just the now. I'm participating. Me, the, the dust, me, the, the insignificant is actually participating in writing energy. I mean, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. What's up, guys? Xavier Katana here, and wow, what an episode with legendary big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Just an information-packed episode about being in high-performance states, and we get into flow state, we get into performance, we get into supplements, and just how to keep your body in this rhythm of being able to achieve these amazing states. So everything that you would want to know from someone who has been in those states thousands of times. So hopefully you guys enjoy this one. Thank you guys so much for listening. The Human Experiences in Session, my guest for today is Mr. Larid Hamilton. Larid, my good sir, it's an honor. Welcome to The Human Experience. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for having me, and uh, it's my honor. So... Laird, I mean, you, you made such a, a wide-ranging impact on the world of surfing. And, you know, I've studied your career, and I know who you are. But for anyone who might not know who you are, can you just give us a short biography, please? Well, I'm uh, Laird Hamilton, and I was uh, a poor young man in Hawaii, a uh, rough life. I'm considered to be a waterman, which just means that you are multi-skilled in disciplines of the ocean and of the water and you have an understanding of uh of its workings and i you know was raised in hawaii at some of the most rugged surf breaks in the world and all the people that i looked up to were were great watermen fishermen divers and surfers and and the greatest of these and the ones that i had the most respect for were the men that rode the giant waves and and so that that impact on my life made me become a rider of giant waves and always in pursuit of riding giant waves. And in, through that process, I've been involved with windsurfing and kiting and kind of been involved in the innovation of kiting, of foil surfing, um, of uh, stand-up paddling, of a, a technique called toe-in surfing, which allows us to ride some of the biggest waves in the world. And the list keeps going. Yeah, it's, it's really profound, this connection that you've made with the ocean. It's not a sense of control because you're not controlling the waves. When did you find out that surfing was going to be this huge thing for you? 
Well, I, I think I had the fortune to kind of know when I was very young that I was going to do something in surfing or surfing was going to do something in me. But there was this, you know, this connection that I had with this art and this uh, element. And so it started very young, I'd say three or four years old. You know, I mean, I, I think I was a, obnoxious as a young man. Just I would run around. And first of all, I'd tell everybody who my stepdad was. He was, uh, you know, a great surfer. And and uh, and then I would say I was going to be great. And they would just be like, hey, would you just please shut up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, you talk about your own philosophy regarding fear. How do you move through that? How do you move through this sense of fear when you have this 200-foot wave coming at you? Well, I, I think the relationship that I have with fear and what fear has enabled me to do has come over a long period of time. I think I've developed a relationship with fear. I think I, growing up, I think I was scared so often that I became pretty uh, versed at being scared. And through that, I think it gave me an ability to learn how to harness it. I think, you know, that fear as an energy source is a very powerful thing. And so the when you have the ability to use fear as energy, it makes you strong. It makes you fast. It makes you make really good decisions. Um, it's, it's, it's something to, uh, respect and, and appreciate. And so, you know, again, I think I've developed a relationship with fear. I've learned how to harness it and use it as a, as a, as an energy source. And, and it's brought me, uh, incredible, uh, rewards. So I just want to feel this with you because when you're approaching a wave of that size or you're assessing you know where you're going to enter and how you're going to logistically plan riding this wave i mean what's going through your mind when you do that it's a pretty methodical process it's it's something that you first of all you're pulling from years and years and years of experience you know you're pulling from 30 40 50 thousand hours of experience um you're using all of that data to help you make the the right approach, make the right plan. You know, the one thing about the ocean and waves that keeps you kind of always on guard is that there's never two moments that are the same. And I think that my respect and my fear for these uh, beasts, that respect and that fear forces me into a very consistent approach yet with always the preparation that stuff happens and so i always say there's only three ways you can go about doing anything that's real dangerous and you know one of them is denial and one of them is ignorance and the other one is operating within your experience and most of the time it's kind of some kind of combination of all three of those so you come in kind of experience you have a little bit of denial and and a little bit of ignorance or you know however it's going to be but I approach this real mathematically, and then I use instinct to guide. You know, I use instinct as a as a guide when, you know, when something just isn't right, go with that. Feel that, use that skill that we've developed, yeah. you know, to survive. Yeah, so you mean that that when you feel something wrong, you kind of eject out of that, and you're just, you follow that feeling. Absolutely, yeah. Well, or I go into high caution. Okay. So I'll go into a high caution mode, like, hey, you know what, I'm a little thumbs up, I'll go into high caution, and that 
serve me well. And so I heed those, those warnings. Has there been a time where you've been in that situation and maybe you didn't follow that instinct? Maybe you didn't follow that little warning and you were in a situation where it, it got dangerous? Well, yeah, more than once. Usually it results in some sort of injury. So, I mean, you just kind of go, hey, you know what? I'm good. Maybe I should just stop now. But then your ego or something gets in the way and then you continue on and then you're like, you know, whack. And then you're like, oh, I broke my collarbone or, oh, I broke my leg or, you know, and you, but yet if you would have just heeded those internal warnings sooner, you would have, you wouldn't have, uh, you know, the unconscious mind moves at 32,000 times the speed of the conscious mind, which, which technically means that it can almost, you know, kind of see the future. And so in a way, you know, those instincts and those feelings come from the unconscious. You can develop a relationship with your conscious mind when you heed those warnings and those little deja vus or whatever you want to call them that come up and cross over that plane. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where you're able to start to kind of create a, a better connection between that unconscious warning system, survival system that moves at such a higher rate yeah. as the slower you know cognitive conscious mind yeah that's very profound i really like that a lot you know i'm sure you are aware of what flow state is right being in flow you know is there a process that you use i mean when you're in the middle of a pipe and you're just you're riding that wave what's happening with time and does time slow down does it speed up do you feel like you have more time does everything kind of move in slow motion how does that work well there's an expansion of time that occurs when you're in that moment. I mean, you know, I describe sometimes the act of riding a wave as a place where there is no beginning and there is no end. It just is. And you leave off where you left off and you start where you, you know, you left off. I think that there's something about that that keeps us coming back for more, that we really desire that state. But the simplest way to word it really is be in the now. So if there's no beginning and no end, then there's just the now. So if the riding a wave is actually being in the now, yet you're in movement, it's something very special. There's something, you know, very unique about that sensation that really keeps us coming back for more. I mean, we, you know, design our lives around this, this desire for this state. Yes, yes, definitely. There's such a large aspect of surrender remember looking at these images of you on these these massive just walls of water and you're just this tiny little human being and, and it almost looks like you're making these brush strokes you know on this this canvas that that is the ocean does surrender play into this just letting go of your ego letting go of those things well it's all about submission it's all about surrender it's all about being at the mercy and it's really it's when we are at our best, right? We're at our best when we are humble and proper perspective of what we really are, which is dust in the wind. At the end of the day, that's where we shine is when we're humble and we're realistic about our position in the universe. We're a particle, a very small particle. And so and when you come from that and you go, okay, I'm humble, I'm submitting, and then you're able to be in this less humble, more significant situation, 
that's where the experience comes in. That's the whole sensation is like I'm participating. Me, the the dust, me, the, the insignificant is actually participating in riding energy. Mm. I mean, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful way to put it into perspective. And just, um, you know, I, I feel like we... We walk around a lot with our egos kind of at the front of what we're doing. And when you're in a position like that, you get humbled very quick. So it's it's difficult to not be in this sort of humble state. It forces you to be in this humble state when you're facing this this force of nature coming at you. You created extreme performance training. You co-created this. Can you tell us a bit about you know what XPT is and how it works? Well, XPT is a, a really a experiential uh, opportunity for people to participate in our lifestyle, but also be exposed to some information that has had impact on our lives and some fitness techniques and nutrition and breathing and thermal regulation and uh, some of these things that have had a profound effect on us. You know, we have experts. People can come for a two and a half day experience and kind of get a high impact version of our lifestyle, like where they get to come and, you know, and, and take some stuff home with them that can have an impact on the way they live, how they live, you know, hmm. and what they live for and so on. And so it's a, it's a way for us to share some of the information that has been shared with us. You know, it has a profound effect. I, I mean, every one of these XPT experiences that we've had, people walk away, change and, it has that same impact on us, and so we really enjoy putting them on. And every time we put on one, it seems like we we gain a few friends. I don't know if we're going to continue to be able to do that, but it, it, you know, we can never have too many friends. And it's just great to see people being open and willing. It has a tendency to pull a really unique group of people that are really open and interested in in continuing to evolve um, as we are. Breathing is a big part of XPT, right? In which way are we using breathing consciously to achieve this high performance state? We're first of all, we're just giving breathing the credence or the respect that it deserves on the priority of existence. You know, you can live for you know a few weeks without eating, you can live for a few days without drinking water, and you can only live a few minutes without breathing. So in, in that state, then where does breathing fall? It seems like it falls as probably the most important thing that we do and then there's a relationship you know with the spirit and the breath you know there's indigenous tribes that call it the spirit of life um, that breath is the spirit of life it's about bringing consciousness to breath now as far as the experience goes i mean we're going to do a bunch of different activities and there'll be a multiple opportunities to do some breathing techniques that, that people will be able to implement into their own lives into their fitness Ultimately, the great thing about XPT is that it continues to evolve. So there's no set format. We, we not, it's not like we go, hey, this is calisthenics, and this is what you do, and this is how you do it, and then it's going to be, you know, if you've been to one class, you've been to them all. This is something that's always evolving, and it's going to continue to evolve um, as we learn and, and, and we evolve, which hopefully is indefinite. Yeah, very interesting. Um, you know, Laird, I, I really want to talk about some of your personal battles and, you know, not on the ocean. We all have demons. We all have that, that sort of dark passenger. I mean, has there been something like that in your life that you've had to sort of conquer and defeat? 
there's a battle of the pole every day. I think that in life, you know, there's the South Pole, the North Pole. You know, we're like a battery. There's the, the negative and the positive. And, you know, what dominates the majority uh, of your thinking and the majority of your time spent doing? Now, is it in the negative or the positive? As long as the positive is more profound or, or having a bigger impact than the negative, you're all good. You know, I've been sober for 10 years. I, I used to love to drink, you know, a good Bordeaux. I love red wine. At a certain point, I just thought, you know, nothing's good is coming from this. You know, and where we say all the dumbest things I ever did were when I was drinking. So I'm no better or, or no different than any other person. I have all the desires that all people do. And I choose to go the direction I go. And those choices happen to be on the majority of the side positive. And so, you know, I've had family stuff growing up. I've had relations stuff being grown up. I've had injury stuff. And I'm not saying that I've been through all the trials and tribulations that a human can go through because I haven't. And I've been blessed and saved from a lot of a lot of grief. But I have, you know, been through enough stuff to have had an opportunity to decide what way I wanted to go. And I'm fortunate to be able to say that I try to continue to always choose the light, you know, choose the light, keep focusing on the light and what you occupy your time with and what you choose will be the thing that dominates. So if you're negative and it's all dark and don't be surprised if, you know, a lot of darkness is around you. And if you're positive and you're choosing the light, then don't be surprised if a lot of light's happening. You know, there's certain laws in the universe and and I'm fortunate to know this thing called instant karma, where usually when I think something bad or do something bad, I pay instantly and has a tendency to make you learn quick or, or maybe not. But, uh, you know, I choose to take those as lessons and try to make changes. Yeah, 100% agreed with that, especially regarding just alcohol. I personally, I, I quit drinking myself. And, you know, that's, that's such a big change. This, once we start to realize that alcohol is just a poison for the body, I mean, it once you move away from it for a while, you realize how negative it is for you. There was this, there was yeah. an interview that you did, this article where you shared your 10 point plan to live forever. You know, was there one of those 10 points that kind of struck you the most? There's one where you talk about, you know, forget how old you are, um, taking care of everyday priorities. Is there one of those that kind of resonates more than the others? I think to retain your youthful enthusiasm. I think that, you know, that the key to the fountain of youth is to be a kid and to be excited and to be enthusiastic. I think as soon as you lose that, you're dead anyway. So, I mean, at a certain point, if you want to be alive while you're alive, then be alive and be excited and be enthusiastic. It doesn't mean every second don't be like Mr. Hey, smiley guy. I just meant find things that make you excited and be a kid and be willing to learn and try new stuff and don't care what people think of you. And I mean, I think that really, I mean, listen, you got to eat good. You got to have good relationships. You got to work out. You got to, I mean, it's an endless list, right? And it's not any one spoke that makes the wheel round. It's all of them, right? So, but, but if you said, Hey, you know, what's one of the dominant spokes, you know, what's the hub, you know, I mean, it says it in the good book, just retain your youthful enthusiasm and be a, all the older guys that I know that are young, they're all enthusiastic, excited, you know, they're retaining it. 
you said something interesting about shoes in this in this conversation that you were having or this article that was published. You grew up barefoot in Hawaii, right? First of all, we couldn't afford shoes. You didn't want to have shoes on in Hawaii anyway. Half the time I lost all my shoes. You know, I mean, when we did wear shoes, they were only slippers or thongs or whatever we want to call them, but they weren't exactly a shoe. All the studies are like, hey, we should all be barefoot. And, and something about, you know, barefoot definitely connects you to the earth and you absorb negative ions through being barefoot. And I mean, uh, you know, our feet were designed to be, you know, pretty much uh, other than maybe a moccasin or something to keep your feet warm if you lived in the snow or something. But, you know, your feet are, you know, it's a way to touch. It's, it's, it's how we touch. And so in a way, if you, you know, if you're always insulated, you know, how smooth is skin when you have a glove on? <laughs> you know, it's like not that smooth. So, Laird, I mean, what has evolved for you? What has changed for you? I mean, you know, are you more patient when you're surfing? Are you more patient with it? And does that relate back to your own personal life? It's almost as if surfing is a type of philosophy, and it teaches you so much about life. Well, I mean, first of all, all the the real lessons I've learned, the oceans taught me. I went to the school of ocean and. There you learn, you know, the fundamentals of life. You learn humility and discipline and perseverance and you, you fear. I mean, you learn, you want to talk about all the things you learn and all the important things you learn. They all, you know, and every great thing I've ever been gifted to me has come from the ocean. And whether it's things I've done in the ocean that have, you know, gotten the gifts bestowed upon me or things I've learned from the ocean that has allowed me to be able to receive the things that I've been gifted. I mean, it's just go, it doesn't end, but I think, you know, I, I don't consider myself a very patient person, but, you know, I had a writer once tell me, he goes, you know, you know, I realized that surfers are some of the most patient people in the world. And I just about fell out of my chair. I was like, you obviously <laughs> don't know me, but he said, you know, but you guys are willing to wait a lifetime for a moment. And I said, well, that's true. I mean, and, and we are, and we are genuinely willing to wait a lifetime for a moment. I mean, I would wait 50 years for an opportunity to, to, to ride a certain kind of wave. And I would prepare myself for 50 years to be able to ride that wave and, or be there for that moment. Um, and yet I, I think my children at this point are teaching me the other side of patience, which is with all of the small stuff and less selfishness and more selflessness. I definitely feel like the more you can take your feelings of accomplishment or your successes out of the hands of humans and put them in your own, the more successful you'll be and the more accomplished you'll be. You know, when you're young and aggressive and wanting to make, make prove yourself, you have one attitude. But then when you're, you know, a little more seasoned and a little more experienced and, and a little more satisfied, you have to change your approach. And what I've learned is that the more I can continue to control my feeling of success, the more successful I'll be. If I have the ability to go out alone into the ocean and do something that brings me a feeling of accomplishment and come back and then bring that feeling of accomplishment back to my house, um, the better person I am, the better husband I am, the better boyfriend I am, the better father I am, the better person I am. And so... Now I try to pursue that. Now I spend a lot of time pursuing that ability and also to bring that feeling of success that I've 
I'm learning how to bestow upon myself. Yeah, that's that, I mean, that's such a profound statement to you know be able to bring that back, what you've learned back into your everyday life. Because I mean, if you're this glory surf rider and you're just kind of just riding these waves, but everyone kind of thinks you're an asshole. I mean, what's the what would be the point of that, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know. Well, we have a saying. We have a saying right in Hawaii. It's not who you are; it's how you are. Yeah. You know, Melanie, one of our listeners, submitted this question. She asks, when and where was the best ride of your life? Just last week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The best ride is the last ride that was a good ride. So, I mean, you know, listen, I've had so many phenomenal rides. I mean, one of the most famous rides that I've ever had was one in Tahiti when when I rode a a wave at the time that that was said to be uh, unrideable and impossible. Um, I've had incredible um, rides of my life uh, at a famous wave called Jaws uh, on Maui. Um, There's a famous stuntman that once said, you know, never let your memories be bigger than your dreams. So I don't dwell on the past, but I think I've had so many incredible rides um, in my lifetime. It's hard to say one was better than the other. It was just maybe they've just been all been equally great just different and there's been too many to even count but i mean i definitely have had some monumental moments you know at both in maui and tahiti but i did you know like i said literally i had a ride last week that was one of those special ones that i did you know i think it's about when you do something that you've never done i think each time you do that that's a monumental one yeah so uh, i know that wasn't the the short answer, but that's the only one I have. <laughs> no worries. You know, there's there's such a large philosophy behind all this, and one of the anecdotes that I've heard about surfing is that when you start to panic, like let's say that you kind of eat a wave and and you're you just you crash out and you're under the water. If you panic in that moment, you only have like ten to fifteen seconds of air. But if you remain calm in that moment, you have up to a minute of air or longer. That's a metaphor for life. Yeah. That's yeah, a metaphor for life. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, do you, do you find that to be true? I mean, do you, have you found that to be accurate in your experience? Absolutely. I mean, I think because I was in so many heavy situations from such a young age for so many times, you become very uh knowledgeable about the liability of panic and that how panic will will undermine your ability to survive and so panicking is a liability and you learn that quick and there's a time there's a time to go all out and you know and give it your all at the potential cost of paying you gain time by slowing down it's just the irony of it you know that you think, well, if I speed up, I'll gain time. But you gain time by slowing down. And and then actually, there's a, a strange phenomenon that occurs where when you have heightened awareness, that you actually can speed up assessment, and in or and that actually slows down time. It gives you time, and all of a sudden, the time expands because your assessment has sped up. And I describe it a little bit like making slow motion film where they speed the camera speed, the shutter speed up in order to create slow motion. Well, when you 
Imagine assessment is shutter speed. So the quicker you can see, hear, listen, think, think and, and assess, the more time that you'll gain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, there, there was an element of your career where you refused to compete professionally, and yet you dominated the industry. Why did you refuse to do this in a professional standard? Well, the combination of a couple of different reasons. Part of it was because when I grew up, I was exposed to kind of the injustice of judgment and surfing and that surfing is really art and it's self-expression. And I came from a generation um, at which surfing was still under more of an exploratory stage in its development. It hadn't been really corporatized. It hadn't been boxed up yet. And they didn't have a, you know, uh, the whole focus wasn't on the tour and that whole thing. And it was more like art. My stepdad was a phenomenal surfer. I watched him go through some real kind of trials and tribulations with participating in the structured uh, competitions. And I watched his fate be determined by other people that were probably not nearly as good a surfer as he was, but yet they were the so-called experts. And I decided at a young age that I wouldn't subject my performances to those people. And, you know, I played around when I was little in surfing competitions because it was fun. It was with your friends. You want some uh, some toys or whatever, candy, whatever, a couple of t-shirts or something, something fun. There was an, and then when money came along and the whole thing changed, it, it kind of had a tendency to make me aggressive, which I think I was already naturally too aggressive. I didn't need a reason to be more aggressive. For me, I think that aggression was a distraction from actually surfing. You know, I told somebody, yeah, I think the reason why I never competed was because I'm too competitive. <laughs> I always thought I'll go my route, which is if I'm the best surfer in the biggest and heaviest conditions, then that kind of pretty much takes care of itself. I don't need to have anybody determine whether I'm great or not. If I can, if I'm doing things no one else is doing or performing in a way in the in what I consider the heaviest conditions, then that kind of puts me on my own platform. And ultimately people go, well, how do you do that? You know, you know, you're a basketball player, but somehow you're not playing in the NBA. And I just explained that normally, you know, an athlete is sponsored or they get paid because they're getting exposure or they're on TV every night. And they're, you know, so the so they get paid because they get seen. And so, but I, because of the nature of the things that I was able to do and have done, it, that got me a lot of exposure. So I just kind of bypassed the middle part, which is I didn't need a platform. Um, I was able to go directly to the, to the exposure side, which led to sponsorships and other things like that. I always say, I, you know, I hate to be told what to do. I don't want to be told when to go in the water and when to come in. I want to feel it, go when I want to, perform how I want to. And then I think with that format, it allowed me to maybe do things and perform in a way that was much more true to myself and, and at the end really allowed me to go to higher levels of performance and maybe much higher than I would have ever, ever been able to had I been in a competitive environment. So, you know, I really want to know what that feeling was like for you when, you know, you were recognized off of the surfboard for the first time or when someone came up to you and just asked for your autograph. like. How did that affect you, that sort of recognition for what you were doing? Well, honestly, that really started in Europe first. I, you know, I always said I had to go to France to be appreciated. But, you know, people's appreciation for what I was doing and, and what I am came 
really came there first. I was honored by it, highly honored, and uh, and I take it as a responsibility. I'm thankful uh, when people appreciate what I do. Um, I'm thankful when people want an autograph. I'm thankful when people want a picture. At certain times, I'm less happy about it than others because you know you're just tired or or you whatever. You just you're not in the state of mind to to be able to do that. But I'm always grateful and and always respectful. And you know, uh, I, John McEnroe uh, is is a friend of mine and. You know, he said, you know, never be offended when somebody wants your photograph, but start worrying when they stop. <laughs> and so, you know, again, I take it in perspective. Some of the things that I've done and been able to do are going to have an effect on people. So I can't be surprised. And I ultimately I want it to. I, I think I wouldn't be doing um, what, what I do properly if I wasn't if it wasn't having some kind of um, effect. I know it has an effect on me. Yeah. I'm doing it. So I imagine people seeing it, you know, if they are at all connected, are going to feel it too. Absolutely. For sure. For me, it's just, you know, studying your work and, and kind of being aware of your career and, and watching it. It's, it's just such an inspiring thing. It's so, it's almost magical. You know, you make it look easy. That's why it was such a big deal for me to, you know, get you onto this show. I think the second or third time that I had encountered your work was you were on a show called Iconoclast. It's like mm. one of my favorite shows on television. Mm. And they would just bring together two people that were at this very high status of where they were in their careers. And there was a show with you and Eddie Vedder from Pearl mm. Jam. And yep. it was really cool to see you sort of interacting with him and the the sort of relationship that you guys had, and then get this sort of inside peek of, you know, how you process the ocean and what it seems like for you when you're, you know, assessing a wave or looking at the ocean and you have your your surfboard in your hand. First of all, Eddie's an incredible guy. And that format of that show really created an opportunity for people to feel like they were sitting into a conversation between two people that even though it seems like would be so disconnected, the most common thing I get asked is like, oh, don't you know so-and-so and and -and so-and-so he surfs? And it's like, no, I don't know all the surfers. In fact, I relate more to, you know, guys that are Chris Chelios or, you know, guys that are are great in their their perspective things. You know, I have people that, you know, that in all different aspects of life that are at these levels in their career that I relate more to the approach and what it took for them to get to that than I do to another surfer. Just because another surfer surfs doesn't mean that I would automatically just know him or somehow we would relate because we're both surfers. I would relate more to somebody else who might be in, you know, he might be in investing. He might be a surgeon. He might be a car racer. He might be, a, you know, another in another sport. More of the mentality and the formula that they implemented is probably more like my formula than people that just surf. Yeah, absolutely. And that helps me segue into the golf board. Uh, we had a question from Denito Del Toro, and he asks, he wanted me to ask you about the, the golf board. Yeah, great advice. Every once in a while, when I was really tired, I would, golf was a great thing to do when I was exhausted after I've been trained for whatever, just exhaust, you know, surf, lift, swim, bike. And I'd go there with a friend of mine, Mr. Wildman, and we'd go into the course and, you know, ride a car around and hit a ball. And it was kind of therapeutic. And then we were fooling around one day and he was asking me to go and I hadn't really done enough. And I was like, ah, I don't really want to go. I go, but if you bring some 
electric, you know, we had these electric skateboards. I go, if you bring one of these skateboards to the golf course tonight, yeah, I'd be into, <laughs> I'd be into uh, going there because it might be fun to ride these things around because the course is kind of a cool place to ride. And, and we, the first time we rode one, we were like, oh, this is incredible. Let's, we got to build a board so that, you know, that it can climb the hills and go on the grass and do all this stuff. And so from that, my friend Don Wildman and I, you know, started the golf board company. We developed a board with another friend of ours, Star, and and we just started using them. And first of all, an incredible way to be on the course. Good players play better. You speed up the speed of play by double. It, it just changes your whole perspective. And you you look at the course differently because you're riding a, a board. And so it's a way to get people kind of doing something else. It's a distraction. It's a, it, I mean, there's just... There's 10 reasons that make the golf board the only way to play golf. Yeah, very cool. I definitely want to try one as soon as I can. This question comes from Tony Floreal. He's a good friend of mine. I think you're aware of him. He wants to know, we talked a little bit about this. He wants to know, how does flow feel to you in, in your, and in your own words, whether it's riding in a tube or rescuing someone? Are there any examples of being in flow that you remember? Well, I mean, I think the ability to be in flow, you know, I think there's easier ways and harder ways. I think that the, you know, obviously, you know, if you train for 30 years in the Himalayas with the monks, that you can sit in a room and be in flow. I think when you're in our world out here and going at the pace we're going, you need to be, you need the situation to be able to put you into that state but you also need the skill and the experience to be put into that state so you know what i'm saying is is that you're not going to take a person that's never ridden you know a wave with you know 60 foot face a 60 foot face wave and and expect that they would go into flow state now if you've been surfing for you know 30 years or 40 or 50 or however long when you get on one of those giant waves, you're going to go right into flow state and it's going to be in a state of mind. And we spoke about it earlier in the conversation, but we didn't identify it as a flow state, but it's where there's no time, where there's no beginning and no end. Everything's sped up in your assessment. So everything's slowed down. And so you have time and you are, you just are, it is, and you are. And when you're, and we've been doing it lately, I've been doing this kind of hydrofoil surfing in these smaller waves and the concentration it takes to be able to ride this thing and then the ability just to be so focused on where you need to be and all of that stuff puts you in this kind of state of mind that you're just you know i just describe it as you are just you are like it just doesn't matter what you are or where you are you are and you and it is, and you're just in them in this state of being to be it's in motion because to do it still and do it in your room uh, takes years of practice and discipline and and maybe something that we can never even get to unless we live in the mountains uh, under a rock. Absolutely, um, I love that. I love hearing about flow state. Um, Larry, one last thing here, and then we'll move towards closing this episode. Um, I, I want to know about your routine. I want to let's get into, you know, your everyday practice. Are are there any things that you use every day that 
help your performance help that aspect of you? Well, yeah, my coffee, <laughs> my, uh, my, my, my espresso with all my fat in it. That's like my, my go-to base line energy. I mean, breath work every day, uh, hydration every morning. I mean, like I have a pretty, pretty good routine. I always shower when I wake up. I always hydrate after that. And then I have, a, a, you know, in fact, I make a bunch of products uh, around the whole kind of philosophy, but I start my day with a bunch of high quality fats and some really high quality caffeine that comes through espresso. And I, I mean, I can, I can go run for, you know, six hours and not even blink wow. uh, and, and not need to eat anything or drink anything or do anything. And so that's, that's the foundation, you know, that's my, that's how, that's what I go to, to start my, launch my day. Um, and, you know, and I, and listen, do I have to, do I have to drink it? No. And can I drink water? Yeah. And can I, you know, I'm all, it's all good, but you know, I choose to, I like it. It works. Um, it, the, the, the mental clarity I get from starting my day with the right fats, um, the energy I get through the time release of the caffeine with the fat and caffeine relationship. I mean, it's just, it's just a way to, you know, I'm not putting a bunch of food in my body, making my body digest, which is, takes a lot of effort. Um, it just sets my, it sets the stage for my day. And so, you know, like I said, shower, hydration, espresso, fat combination. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of my products. I got these products, uh, under the layered superfood, uh, brand and uh, i have these creamers uh that are uh, cacao creamers turmeric creamers the original creamer i got a nice really incredible mushroom blend but it's it's all based on our need for uh supplementation because our foods just don't have enough nutrient density in them anymore and so we have to kind of try to supplement the lack of nutrients that we have in order to, to fuel ourselves and you know you combine good nutrition with good breathing, um, you know, uh, and I mean, you got yourself a pretty good combination to, for a great foundation to, to start, you know, start on the right foot. Um, and then, you know, and then you got to take care of the spiritual, emotional, you know, all the other, all the other more intangibles. Laird. Yeah, I agree, man. There, there's so much that we need to do on, in a daily routine. And I, I pitch this a lot to the people that I talk to some of my clients and, um, you know, routine, routine, routine is everything. So when I, when I, you know, I want to say one thing on that because I, I heard a general speak one time and he said, you know, he goes, the reason why we make the soldiers make their beds, he goes, it's not because we need them to make their bed. It's not, we, it's not because we need them to make their beds perfect. It's because we want, it's all about task completion. So you start your day with task completion. So one of my, I mean, another thing, talk about routine. Always clean the kitchen in the morning. Always put the dishes away. Take all the trash. Like that's just automatic. Like that's just part of what I do. I don't care if the surf's five hundred feet. I don't <laughs> care. If like when we, you know, we have a routine that we do before we go out. When the surf's big, the bigger the surf is, the slower we go. The more we check everything, the more we do it. But we do it even on the small days. We do it every day because then it's not like. Oh my gosh, you're scrambling. Oh, I forgot to grab that thing or tie that knot or do that thing. You just do it all the time. And then it's like an automatic reflex. 
and we're our little bit of creatures of habit. I mean, the negative side of those routines is when you only eat the same thing, you only do the same workout, you only make love the same way. I mean, that's the negative side, right? So that's the negative side of, of routine. But the positive side of routine is that consistency gives us this reliability that we need to create confidence. And it also protects us when we go into heavier situations because we we're forced into being accountable for the details on a consistent basis. It's easy to implement. It's not like, oh, today, you know, it's, it's, something's going on. And so I'm, now I'm doing it differently. And then you're like, oh, well, yeah, no wonder something Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it right there. Laird, where can, where can people get to the superfoods? Where can people find all of that stuff? I'm kind of, uh, you know, I call this the entrepreneurial stage of my career at this point, but I, I've got, well, it's just things I'm interested about. I mean, of course, there's xptlife.com that you can go to and learn all about the experiences and about the training stuff. And some there's a bunch of different uh, routine stuff we're giving away for free and, you know, and, and learn more about that program. Um, I have Laird Apparel, which is um, my apparel project. Um, I have uh, Laird Stand Up, which hard, good stuff. My Laird Superfood, um, you can go online. Uh, to Laird, Laird Superfood. That stuff's incredible. Uh, like I said, cacao, turmeric. I mean, there's just some stuff that'll change your, if you're a coffee drinker, if you're not, you put it in your tea. You can, you know, the the, the mushroom blends. I mean, I got some incredible, uh, you know, high, high quality, uh, you know, nutrient dense supplements for, for, you know, to make your health better. And, and, uh, and then there's golf, the golf board. Um, I have a new film coming out this summer. Uh, called Take Every Wave. Uh, it's a story of my life um, that Rory Kennedy, um, a, a famous documentarian uh, director, directed. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it's just ongoing. We have, we always have something new um, that we're, that we're working on. Very, very cool, uh, my good sir. We will definitely make all those links available to you guys at the bottom of this post when this episode comes out. Laird, thank you so much for being here. Guys, this has been The Human Experience. Thank you guys so much for listening. You will hear from us next week.